are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all enjoyed your weekend, but it is time for us to return with a Mock Draft Monday. We got a couple of mock drafts that we are going to be looking at. One is courtesy of Robert Juden from the Draft Network, and the other is from Chad Reuter of NFL.com, who did a four-round mock draft, including six first-round trades. So we have all of that to dive into on this episode of Locked on Bucks. And David, why don't we go ahead and kick things off with what Robert did for his mock draft? Yeah, sure thing. So Rob Juden, for those of you who don't know, the Draft Network's director of creative and digital media, basically made a mock draft, his first mock draft, at least for the site. I don't know if he's ever done them before, uh, but he says in his writing, first time mock draft writer. Uh, but basically what he did is a mock draft in a new kind of light. And this is kind of what we like about mock drafts, right, is that they give us the opportunity to look into like different worlds or dimensions, whatever you want to call them. So like if there's a world where the Cincinnati Bengals don't take Joe Burrow, what does that world look like um i haven't seen one of those mock drafts yet i don't know potentially i'll get brave enough and do it and get murdered on social media for not having the Bengals take joe burrow but what he did is he took it from the creative and digital media standpoint right a marketing mock draft so basically which players fit best with this team from a marketing standpoint uh you know putting butts in seats and selling jerseys and commercials and and so on and so forth and really kind of getting into it, it starts off just like you would think it would, you know, Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU, the Cincinnati Bengals, because who doesn't want to market, you know, Joe Burrow? That's it, it's it's an automatic marketing, you know, uh, smorgasbord. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's it's a there's a plethora of marketing opportunities there. Redskins take Chase Young. The first real surprise is at pick three with the Detroit Lions taking Auburn defensive lineman Derek Brown. And I understand that Derek Brown has kind of been considered. Uh, the top in- interior defensive lineman in this draft, but I don't think I've ever seen him take a number three. So there's kind of the marketing effect, and he basically goes along to justify that Derek Brown and kind of his style of play and his mentality is like the perfect fit for the Motor City and for what Detroit brings, you know, kind of their uh, their blue-collar kind of, uh, you know, reputation and kind of the grit and the and the the tough nose approach of of life there. Um, after that, really not a whole lot of other surprises. Javon Kinlaw goes to the Panthers at number seven, probably because Derek Brown goes number three to the Detroit Lions. And then we get down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he has them taking offensive tackle from Alabama, Jedrick Wills. And what Juden writes is, quote, Tom Brady is the story. He is the one driving revenue for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So appeal to the fan base by protecting Brady with the offensive tackle who has the highest floor in this year's class. It's not that far of a drive from Alabama to Tampa Bay. And adding Jedrick Willis to the offensive line will pay dividends on and off the field. Plus, the Buccaneers still have O.J. Howard. There's money to be made there as well, end quote. So that's kind of how it boiled down in one of the top four off- offensive tackles in Rob Juden's first official mock draft. Yeah, it's it's an interesting approach to the mock draft, um, you know, to, to take it from a marketing aspect rather than a team need um, which I mean, you're still, he's still kind of drafting for team need, 
but he's taking a little bit of a of a different approach while doing it. I don't dislike the pick at all. You know, we've said numerous times on the show, offensive tackle needs to be what they focus on in the first round. They need to try to grab one of these top four offensive tackles in the class. Having J- uh, Jedrick Wills fall to them at 14 is it's perfect. Um, so no complaints for me on uh, on that end. And I don't know, maybe we'll maybe we'll see some more of these creative out of the box thinking mock drafts from the draft network. You know, you you figure, you know, a lot of these guys that that work over there are going to try to start coming up with ways to really make their mock drafts pretty wacky. And and I think Juden did a good job with this one. Yeah, it kind of reminded me, I, I covered one uh, earlier in the offseason for the mock draft monitor over at BucksNation.com where Cynthia Freeland uh, you know, she's the the analytics guru for NFL Network. If you don't know her work, she basically takes a data-driven look at everything NFL that she talks about, and she did a analytics data-driven mock draft. And basically, she took her algorithms and plugged in players and what they were projected to bring to the league and kind of went with who added the most wins to their franchise. And I want to say, if memory serves correct, the Buccaneers ended up with Caleb on chase on. So it kind of shows that some of the some of the projected players and the team needs and all that stuff they're kind of right in line with each other, uh, which I suppose is 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 a uh, is encouraging if you're out there kind of guessing at what the Buccaneers might do that all of these different looks keep kind of bringing back the same type of player or position group. Um, but yeah, just just an interesting way to look at it. And I mean, I don't know a, a single Buccaneers fan that wouldn't be you know, unhappy or that would be unhappy rather with a guy like Jedrick Wills coming in to help secure that offensive line. Yeah. From a, from a marketing aspect, you know, we, we say it every year when we get into draft season, offensive linemen, they're not the sexy positions. They're not the big name players. They're not going to sell jerseys. They're not going to have their face plastered on the side of Raymond James stadium, but what they are going to do is they're going to protect the guy that is doing all that in Tom Brady. Someone like Wills or any other offensive tackle is going to ensure that he is playing in all 16 games, which is something the Buccaneers absolutely need in this upcoming draft. Mock Draft Monday here on the Locked On Bucks podcast. We've just been talking about Robert Juden's Mock Draft from the Draft Network, our good friends and partners over there. Now we're going to move on to NFL.com, of course, the league's own website, and writer Chad Ryder. Reuter. Reuter. I don't know why Reuter. I can't get that right. That's like the fifth time that James has had to correct me on Chad Reuter's name. So no disrespect to you, Chad. You just have an interesting last name. So Chad Reuter. So here's the here's the great thing about mock drafts in this time of year, right, is that we're post the initial wave of free agency. The Tom Brady's of the world, the Philip Rivers is of the world have all been signed. We know where they're going to be playing in 2020. So now these mock drafts carry just a little bit more weight. We now know the Minnesota Vikings are not going to have a Stefan Diggs, but the Buffalo Bills are going to have a Stefan Diggs. So how does that affect things and, and so on and so forth? So Chad decided to get a little bit more bold than most people right after free agency. He came out with a four-round mock draft, including compensatory picks. So he really kind of went as far out. I mean, it's not a seven-rounder, but really nobody's doing seven-rounders right now because there's still a lot of I mean, we saw the Buccaneers bring back Ryan Smith just over the weekend. So there's still a lot of kind of those little pieces and and special teams players that are still going to get signed and snatched up here in the next month or so before the draft actually happens. But looking at what Chad did, I mean, first and foremost, the headline says it all. Six trades shake up round one. And the first trade that really stood out to me was the the Miami Dolphins trading from number five to number four, a la John Lynch. The New York Giants get to fleece the the, uh, not the San Francisco 49ers, but the Miami Dolphins and basically force the Dolphins to trade up 
uh, and grab. And what they end up grabbing is quarterback Justin Herbert. You might be scratching your head saying, why are they trading up one pick to draft Justin Herbert? Well, that's because Chad has the Washington Redskins selecting Tua Tungavailoa, quarterback out of Alabama, with the second overall pick. The Tua pick is really the one out of all these that I disagree with the most just because I understand the theory, new head coach, new quarterback, all that. Ron Rivera is obviously tied to Cam Newton, who's more of a mobile quarterback and, and all that stuff. But I think it would be a mistake to kind of pigeonhole Ron Rivera into that type of a thing. And also, let's not forget that Cam Newton is actually still out there. So there's a possibility that when he gets to the point where he can pass a physical, I wouldn't put it past the Washington Redskins and Ron Rivera to bring Cam Newton into D.C. And you have a quarterback stable. It's got Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Cam Newton. But even if you don't have Cam Newton, you at least have Dwayne Haskins, which the franchise already dedicated a first-round draft pick to. And you have Kyle Allen, who they just traded a fifth-round draft pick to. So are you really going to spend two years of number ones back-to-back and a fifth on just quarterbacks? That's a lot to invest in the quarterback position when only one of those guys can take snaps. So to me, that's the one that sits the worst. But you guys aren't here for that. You guys are here for the Buccaneers, obviously. And James, in Chad's first round, the Buccaneers take defensive tackle Derek Brown with the 14th overall pick. So 11 picks later than our buddy Robert June over the Draft Network did, but obviously for different reasons. Uh, what do you think of the Derek Brown pick, especially considering Jedrick Wills is still on the board? Yeah, I mean, I like Brown. Uh, I think he's going to be a really solid player. And and Reuter would go on to say that you know they can find a right tackle later in the draft. And he predicts that the Bucks might even take two tackles in the draft. And just said that that Brown falling to them at 14, even with the return of Indomitian Sue, was too rich to pass up. Now, here's where I'm going to disagree. You have Wills sitting there waiting for you, and you draft a position that you don't really need to draft with that pick. I understand, again, how talented Derek Brown is, but Wills is, is not you know that big of a step below of what Brown is, and he's at a position that they desperately, desperately need. The Buccaneers have played this game of drafting these day two and day three offensive linemen. Some have worked out, some have not. They have to invest in the first round in the in, in the the offensive line. That's just how it has to be. And again, I said it last week on one of the episodes. I don't care if the quarterback was Tom Brady. I don't care if it was Jameis Winston. I don't care if it was Chad Henney. You have to invest in the offensive line in the first round in this draft. That is the the biggest glaring need for this team. Is it right tackle? And I love Dot, but he just doesn't have it anymore. And we even talked about Jason Peters, who's even older. You have to get younger. You have to get better along the offensive line to protect Tom Brady and to get the run game going. That's just how it is. You're not going to pass on one of the top four offensive tackles in order to draft a defensive tackle in, in Brown that won't even start. The The Bucks have a really, really solid roster, but they are not in a position where they can draft a player in the first round to sit or be rotational. That's that's not where they are right now. They do have a few glaring needs, and when you have someone that can fill that need and be a day one starter sitting there waiting for you, you don't pass on them. Yeah, and I I completely agree. I mean, Derek Brown, you know, it, not to take anything away from Derek Brown, he's he's great in his own right. You know, he's going to be an effective NFL player if projections live up to reality and, and all that stuff. But the bottom line, when you look at the Buccaneers roster, right, what bringing back and Dominic and Sue even on just the one-year contract, did was 
created to where this team could focus on improving this offense through the draft. Uh, again, we've kind of been over this. And again, I'll give a shout out to, to a friend of the show, JC Cornell, for being kind of one of the first people to tweet this theory out there that the Buccaneers already have an up and coming defense with a lot of youth playing on it. So it would be better just bring them back and, and kind of like what Matt and Taylor were, were talking about as well on the show is that all the players they brought back are just as valuable as any free agent that could have gone. And what you do is you bring an infusion of youth into the offense that got that has guys like Mike Evans playing on it, a Tom Brady, a consummate professional and veteran, and bringing Derek Brown. Uh, all it does is bring in a backup, like you just said. He may be great two, three years from now, but this year, when you're all in, when you're bringing in a 43-year-old quarterback, you're doing it to win a Super Bowl. Derek Brown doesn't help you win a Super Bowl in 2020 as much as Jedrick Wills potentially helps you win a Super Bowl. And James, you know this about me and my own draft quote-unquote theories. You don't draft a player in the first round unless you expect them to be a starter. You're not expecting Derek Brown to be a starter. Only where Derek Brown is a starter, a bona fide starter, is if Dominican Sue gets injured. That's not how you draft. When you when you look at Jedrick Wills, you draft Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, Mackay Becton, or Tristan Wirfs. They are your starter at right tackle. That's who you pick at number 14. If it's another guy, you're trading back. If it's a possible starter, then you're trading back and you're getting draft capital for making that sacrifice. But if you're sticking at 14, you're drafting a starter, and that's Jedrick Wills. Yeah, it, it, you're 100% right, and and that's something that we've, you know, we're going to continue to hammer that into the ground as long as we see mock drafts like this moving forward because, you know, you, you ask, you run a poll of Buccaneers fans and ask what is the number one need in the 2020 draft, and you give them, you know, positional choices, offensive tackle is going to come away with about 98% of the vote. Yeah, most definitely, but moving into the second round, now – for me, anyway, Chad and I are going to agree a little bit more, and our relationship's going to get a little bit nicer here for the rest of the episode. Because in the second round, he nabs Georgia running back DeAndre Swift to add to Ronald Jones in that backfield. You know, obviously considered one of the top one or two running backs. I've seen some people who still have Jonathan Taylor up there. I don't think I've really ever seen anybody have J.K. Dobbins as their number one guy, at least for quite kind of like the last month. So DeAndre Swift at pick number 45 in the second round there, you're getting arguably the best running back in this draft and you're getting him in the second round, and you're getting him without having to trade back up. Yeah, absolutely love this pick, and I love it way more in this mock draft than one that I saw over on Walter Football that had the Buccaneers drafting DeAndre Swift at number 14 in the first round. Yeah, don't do that. Don't don't do that. But I do believe DeAndre Swift may be the only running back that could be taken in the first round. But again, that's going to be like a late first round, like that 29, 30, 31 range, potentially on a trade up, you know, get get the fifth year option. Because as as we've seen, you had Melvin Gordon sitting out and, and holding out last year and he got drastic a drastic drastic price reduction in what his contract ended up with in Denver versus what he was offered with the Chargers last year. Yet running back is one of those positions that you you draft a player, you let them run through their contract and then you don't pay up again. You go out and you draft another one. So getting arguably the best running back in the draft in the second round I think is perfect and it it, it frustrates me even more that he went with Derek Brown in the first round because then you could have had Wills and Swift with your first two picks. Guess what? Now the only quote unquote like glaring needs that this team would have is arguably at the safety position 
And then at the number three wide receiver, you've taken care of your two biggest needs with the first two picks without having to trade up at all. So again, that's that's a, where more of the frustration with the Derek Brown pick comes in. But DeAndre Swift, that's the exact kind of running back that the Buccaneers need to come in and compliment Ronald Jones. He can he can protect. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. He's quick. He's elusive. He's electric. Yeah, that's that's the sexy pick. That's the one that's going to sell some jerseys. All those people that already pre-ordered their Brady jerseys, now they're going to race out and they're going to get DeAndre Swift jerseys because they're going to be real excited about, well, I don't know, there's going to be a lot of people replacing some jerseys, so we're probably going to see lots of Levantes and Mike Evanses and Chris Godwins and Devin Whites, but you know that's your your sexy jersey selling draft pick right there in in Swift. Yeah, and I mean just for the record, just for for the clarity of people, Jonathan Taylor did go in the first round in Chad's mock to the Miami Dolphins, and then DeAndre Swift second running back off the board, but again, arguably the first or the second best running back in this class. And then later on, Clyde Edwards Alaire, another fan of or another player that Buccaneers fans are a fan of, uh, Bailey Adams most specifically. Um, here uh, at BucksNation.com goes to the Buffalo Bills at pick number 54. And then J.K. Dobbins actually lasts all the way to the third round. And speaking of the third round, that's where we kind of talk about, right? That trickle down thing, because you didn't get uh, a, one of those top four offensive tackles in the first round. Chad ended up having to take Matt Pert, Peart, I don't know, P-E-A-R-T offensive tackle out of Connecticut in the third round. And honestly, it kind of just feels like a reach. It feels like now we're drafting because we need to fill that offensive tackle spot. And Matt, obviously, you know, I, I apologize if he ever hears this for mispronouncing your name. Not, I haven't done a lot of studying on him because he's not a guy that really moves the needle on the radar on the, on the, on the excitement meter at all, because he's not a guy like if you draft, if you draft this kid in the third round, if you draft any offensive tackle in the third round, most likely you're looking at Joe Haig being your starting right tackle. So that's kind of what it does for me, James. I don't know what it does for you. Yeah, it it goes back to that first round pick and, you know, nothing against Pert. You know, maybe he does turn out to be a a 10 year starter in the league. But you take a look at at how this draft could have fallen. You could have taken Wills at 14. Then you got Swift in the second round. Then in the third round, some a couple of the guys that, that fell behind Pert here. You had Antoine Winfield Jr., a safety out of Minnesota that, David, you've talked about him. He's going to be featured on our 30 Prospects in 30 Days series. It would be a great fit for this defense. That helps fill the void at safety. Cam Akers fall. Obviously, you're not going to go back-to-back running backs, but you know, just somebody else to, to think about. Daryl Taylor, the edge rusher out of Tennessee. Troy Pride Jr., the corner out of Notre Dame. Again, you you reach there at that offensive tackle position because you passed on the one that you should have taken the first time around. So now you're forcing the issue in the third round. And instead of letting the draft come to you, you are, you're, you're pressing the issue there and, and taking a guy that you really shouldn't have had to take when you had somebody like Antoine Winfield Jr. sitting there waiting for you to draft him while getting a, a dominant combination of offensive tackle and running back. So again, this, this is kind of how the dominoes always tend to fall. And if you make a mistake in one round or you reach in one round, you know, there is that, that trickle down effect. So we could be looking at a draft where it goes, Wills, Swift, Winfield Jr. Instead, we got Derek Brown, DeAndre Swift, and Matt Pert 
to me, that's a pretty drastic difference in how I'm feeling about this draft coming out of the weekend. Right. And that's something, you know, you guys all know that I've been listening to this for a while. I'm a big fan of Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks and what they do over the NFL network, NFL.com, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something they talk about every draft season is pairings and groupings. Right. And it's not so much just the player you get in the specific round, but it's how they fit with the rest of your class and how that class fits with your roster. Again, Derek Brown at number 14. Nobody's going to say that in a vacuum getting Derek Brown at pick number 14 is a reach. However, getting Derek Brown with this roster at pick number 14, when you have a guy like Wills sitting on the board, it just it feels like, and we kind of talked about that, right? Chef called in a voicemail and asked about, you know, uh, position, position values and, and, and et cetera. And that's what we're talking about is it's a combination of best player available and what your team needs. Is Derek Brown a better defensive tackle than Jedrick Wills in the offensive tackle? I don't know. I think they're probably neck and neck. You might be able to argue one or the other is is higher in their position uh, than the other. I know one of them is is theoretically the fourth person in their position group off the board, but that doesn't mean that they're not individually better in, in, in stature at that position. But then you look at the roster, and again, would you rather have Will Swift or Winfield Jr.? Heck, I mean, you could have Will Swift, and I'm looking here at the board, 89th to the Minnesota Vikings, Kyle Duggar out of Lenore Ryan, who's who's been you know a, a superstar in the offseason here is still available. So that's a guy in the third round. You feel a lot more comfortable drafting a small school safety in the third round there than you do, you know, in the first or the second, obviously, and not having to commit to an offensive tackle because you haven't added to the position yet allows you to do that. So that's why these things are valuable. But I think that what Chad has proven to us here is that Derek Brown, probably not the right pick, not because of Derek, but because Indominus Sue is back and you don't need that starting uh, that starting, I, I don't know what to call him, Mahler, I guess, on your defensive line. All right, we are talking mock drafts here on a mock draft Monday on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're heading into round four where Chad Reuter at pick number 117 has the Buccaneers taking safety Geno Stone out of Iowa. And again, David, we're seeing the trickle-down effect. They could have had Winfield in the third round but they went with the offensive tackle because they went Derek Brown in the first round. And, you know, not not for nothing, but if you have Wills, Swift, Winfield Jr., now in the fourth round, a couple of guys that, that are drafted after Geno Stone. You got Khalid Kareem, the edge rusher out of Notre Dame, Raquan Davis, the defensive end out of Alabama, uh, Quintez is it Cephas? You're going to have to help me on that one. I should know that. He went to Wisconsin, Big Ten. Uh, your boy, K.J. Hill. These are all guys that that dropped back, um, you know, after the Buccaneers pick in, in round four. But because you passed on the offensive tackle, then you had to reach for one, and you passed on a starting caliber safety in Winfield Jr. Now you're reaching for that safety to fill that need, and you're seeing – other players at positions of need that are falling back that probably would have fit better. Yeah. And again, not trying to be disrespectful to Geno Stone, you know, the safety out of Iowa here or anything, but it's just, again, it's not something that's going to move the needle. When you talk about adding him to a room with Andrew Adams and Mike Edwards and potentially Dakota Dixon coming back from that injury, potentially Justin Evans coming back from his injury. Like, all right. Like if you, if you make it as a special teams contributor, we'll be happy. And in a fourth round draft pick, that's not what you want as a fourth round draft pick. You want a guy that you feel confident is going to come in and at least compete. You know what I mean? Not not necessarily for a starting job, but compete for time on the field outside of just special teams. And, you know, again, Stone just just doesn't move that needle. And, and you're looking at some other guys. I'll tell you right now, uh, KJ Hill, obviously a guy that stands up to, out to me 
as also being available coming out of Ohio State. But I'm also looking at Tyre, Tyler Biadish, and I hope I said that right. I think I said that right. Center out of Wisconsin. Look, I'm a fan of Ryan Jensen. I like Ryan Jensen. He was on the show last year. Maybe we'll have him on the show again this year. I think he did a lot better in 2019 than he did in 2018, obviously, uh, as far as penalties go, and he kind of showed his value there. But this is one of the highest-paid centers in the National Football League. None of his money is guaranteed moving forward. We already know there's a lot of money dedicated to that offensive line. Tyler Biotish is a guy who comes in, and he automatically, immediately, in a fourth-round draft pick, adds valuable depth to your offensive line. You've got your you've got your starting five set. Joe Hay goes down. If Alex Kappa goes down, and you have to throw him in at guard, you're not happy, but you can be functional. Next year, there's a potential. You could actually move Ryan Jensen for potentially draft capital, or if you need to just release him to free the cap space. Again, not wishing it on Ryan. Don't want to get anybody here fired, but Tyler is a kind of guy that in the future, and, and you know we know that Bucks fans are kind of worried about the future. He helps you today with depth in the fourth round, but he could also be a potential starter for you if he develops into that next year or the year after, and he frees you up a whole lot of money that you can then go out and either sign a new quarterback in 2022 if you need one or sign who plays a need, whatever it does. What it does is it gives your franchise flexibility and security and depth. And again, we're missing out on him because we have to reach on a safety because we feel like we just need to fill that safety room. Honestly, I would have rather skipped a safety altogether at this point and taken a guy like Tyler out of, out of Wisconsin. Uh, but unfortunately, that's just not how it went down. Yeah, and and you know, I, I love your points, but I the one that, that hurts me the most, and you know it had to hurt me because I'm about to talk about KJ Hill. You mean to tell me that they had to pass on on adding KJ Hill to that wide receivers room with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Watson, Scotty Miller? Uh that that ooh, that stung. But again, you had to reach for the need instead of taking a guy that could have been a major impact player right out of the gate in Hill. No, I know that, James, for one, because you know you hate praising Ohio State players before they actually put on a Buccaneers uniform. So I appreciate your honesty and your lack of bias in that evaluation. Plus, you have to understand, too, anybody out there has to understand, K.J. Hill is a day-two wide receiver in any other draft class. Outside of 2020, K.J. Hill is an automatic day two guy at the at the floor like he is not leaving day two ever in this draft class this is where he maybe i still don't believe that he actually does but maybe in this scenario he gets to day three if you have to pass on a guy like kj hill on day three because you pigeonholed or you cornered yourself into having to fill positional needs somewhere else that's how you know that earlier in the draft you really messed up and that's what we're seeing here Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we do get to the compensatory pick, and this is one where they do draft depth. But David, I know you're really excited about this one. I I don't mind this pick at all because I think this is something they should do and they really need to do. And that is draft a quarterback. So back to back picks out of Iowa and Chad Reuter has the Bucks taking Nate Stanley, the quarterback out of Iowa. Now, this is a kid with a big arm. He's got some talent, but he needs to to develop a little bit so he's being drafted into the perfect situation he can learn the offense he can work with tom brady he can work with with tom moore and clyde christensen and and he can begin to to work on that development so that two years from now maybe three years from now brady you know extends his contract after these two years he'll be ready to start he'll be ready to play there's a lot of raw talent there. It just needs to be worked on in, in this compensatory pick, taking him late in the fourth round. I, I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Nate Stanley as a late-round draft pick, as a day-three draft pick. Uh, the fourth round is, uh, is honestly a little bit higher than I would have expected him to go, but when you're talking about spending compensatory compensatory draft pick on him, uh, you, can't, you can't be unhappy with that. And 
you know, from everything that I've seen and from from everything I've just watched of him playing in Iowa, for one, this is a guy who he he's played big time football. He's played in the Big Ten. He's one of the Power Five conferences. Granted, he played in Iowa, but don't forget, Iowa is a team that just had two tight ends go in the first round uh, just last year of the NFL draft. So this is a guy who comes from a system that that had tight ends, knows how to utilize tight ends. Obviously, quarterbacks always want to look to to get their their wide receivers and their running backs involved if they can. But when you talk about the Buccaneers roster and, and moving forward, right, we've gotten those questions too. What is this team going to do when it's time for Tom Brady to leave or time for Tom Brady to retire after this contract is up? Well, Nate Stanley is a guy that you can draft now in the fourth round. Uh, again, you're not, you're not wanting him to start, right? That's why he's a fourth-round pick. But you put him on the bench. You put him in the room with, with a guy like Tom Brady. We talked to, to numerous people out of New England who have talked about how Tom is a guy who studies with his understudies. He studies with his backups. He prepares them. He, he shows them how to do it by, one, doing it himself, but also by demanding they prepare the way that he does as well. Nate Stanley is a guy who's going to come in. He's going to absorb as much as he can from a guy like Tom Brady. And you talk about, in today's NFL, with so many quarterbacks coming out, you got guys uh, like Pat Mahomes coming out. Like You got guys like Lamar Jackson coming out. For a guy like Nate Stanley to really be successful, he's got to come into this league and learn from someone who's doing it now and doing it successfully because he doesn't have the wheels. He doesn't have the mobility. And again, James, we talked about when Tom Brady first got here, right? This kid has been winning, and I talk about Tom Brady. He's older than I am. But Tom Brady's a guy who's been winning as a quarterback with minimal to almost no athleticism. Nate Stanley is the same type of mold. He doesn't have a lot of mobility. He's not going to escape from the pocket and break off a 20-yard run, whatever. But he's a guy that can learn from the greatest to ever do it on how to be his type of quarterback. This isn't like putting Jalen Hurts behind Tom Brady. We're just hoping that Jalen Hurts learns the study habits and all that stuff. This is literally a guy who you don't want to call him a clone because that's incredibly that's such high pressure on a kid. But and when you talk about kind of prototypes, big arm, quarterback who's got to stand in the pocket, doesn't have the escapability physically, this is the kind of guy Nate Stanley is. So he's literally going to watch and learn behind a guy who's been doing it the best or doing it better than anybody's ever done it in NFL history. And that sets you up. If Nate Stanley ever has a chance to be an NFL starting quarterback, it's in Tampa behind Tom Brady for his first two years. All right. Well, David, that is going to do it for Mock Draft Monday. Please make sure you are checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. We are featuring a draft prospect every day leading up to the NFL draft. Um, So if you've missed any of those, I recommend you go back and check some of those out. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands. And we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.